We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 and spend the next uh, few weeks together looking at uh, this part of the Sermon on the Mount and specifically what's called the Beatitudes. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to uh, go and see this place, but growing up in California, we would take a week every summer and vacation on the central coast in a little place called Cayucas, and we would drive up occasionally to a place called San Simeon to go see this castle, as they said, or Hearst Castle, a guy by the name of William Randolph Hearst. And uh, in the 30s, I believe it was, he was worth somewhere between 130 and $140 million. He owned a number of uh, newspapers that he bought, and he built this huge, as you would come upon it, almost this resort, which they call Hearst Castle. He had this, he owned a humongous historical art collection. He had his own zoo, and even across the thousands and th- thousands of acres he had, he had animals like herds of zebra running around, which uh, even today you can still go see running out there. But when you go and take a tour of this place, as I've been there many times, you see everything in gold and marble and all these statues and all these things, and then they take you to this personal theater of his, and at that time you would see the same video, they'd show you his life and all these wonderful things that he had accomplished. But there was always a part of the film in which they talked about this man being a man of grief, a man of despair, a man of great trouble, a man who was depressed, a man who died lonely. And I always thought that's a horrible description of a man who had everything. He was the man who was described as he lived the happy life. And that's what we look to over the next few weeks to come, the happy life or the blessed life. And the world is one that would want us to believe that the happy life is found in the riches and the treasures of this world, in uh, vacations and in retirement and in a nice home and a car and everything that we can have. But the question I have for you is, can we truly have the happy life? Can we truly have the blessed life? What does God have to say in regards to the happy life? A better question would be, how can we enjoy the favor of God? How can we experience God and His glory now and forever? Well, this morning, as we look at Matthew 5, we see answers to these questions. And the big idea this morning is this. We must recognize our spiritual poverty and desperate need for the Savior, Jesus Christ. We must recognize our spiritual poverty and desperate need for the Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were, who were before you. May the Lord bless the preaching and the reading of the word. This morning, as we look at this text, it leads into one of Jesus' recognized most famous teaching as he is on a hillside and there are a lot of people who have gathered to him, but he is teaching his disciples. When you read in chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's speaking and teaching his disciples. And so in verses 1 and 2, you see him take the stance of a rabbi of that day as he would gather the disciples that they would be following them and a rabbi would sit down to teach. And here Jesus does the same and speaks with his disciples. I want to encourage you and also warn you as you look at this text over the next few weeks to come to not fall into the trap that the world does in which they try to separate the Beatitudes from Jesus and make it just some moral principles for all of mankind. We need to understand that Jesus is very clear that he is speaking to those who have faith in him, those who are following him. And we must not separate the teaching of Jesus from Jesus and his teaching on the kingdom of God. It's a great thing to pay attention to, which we'll see in the weeks to come. But he speaks of this in light of people living in the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes are not eight separate, different, specific groups of Christians. It's a lot like the uh, fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, where you have a list of the fruit, and when you look at that in its original context and language, it means that the believers have all of the fruits of the Spirit in their life. And the same here is that every one of these Beatitudes are a characteristic which we find in Christ and are found in the life of the Christian. Every one of the Beatitudes that we just read together are to be evident in your life if you say that you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But what's so important for the other seven is that you cannot be blessed. You will not be blessed unless you're blessed in this first Beatitude in regarding uh, what it means to be poor in spirit. So let's look at what is the happy life in verse three. Blessed Blessed are those who who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And this is where we'll spend our time this morning. What is the happy life? Jesus speaks of the happy life here. And some would say, well, it says blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? And the word blessed can mean happy, or it does mean happy, or fortunate, or blessed. But the way that we view the word happy today is much different than the way this word is viewed when Jesus speaks of this. Some people struggle with reading what Jesus says here in the Beatitudes and, and, and specifically in our world because it's so countercultural. It's so different than the world presents to us. I was reading a quote of an article by the Huffington Post in 2014 about the happy life and they kind of get close. Here's what they say. In the end, the way to lead a joyful life is not to pursue happiness for ourselves, but to pursue it for others. The good life is not about getting what we want. It's about having what it takes to give to others. I say they begin to get close because the key word this morning when we look at this verse 3 is humility. The key word is humility for anyone and everyone who is to be blessed by Christ, blessed with having all of these blessings, is you must be humble. 
And so the Huffington Post gets it kind of correct in saying it's not about us, it must be about other people, but they still miss it all and they apply the happy life to serving others when having the blessed life is all about knowing Jesus. If you do not come to the point and believe that the world is not going to make you happy, that it's not going to fulfill you, it's not going to bless you, um, you're going to struggle in this life. Jesus teaches us that we must come to a point that our sin is so disastrous, our sin is so great before him that we need a Savior. Because if our sin is not great, there's no reason for us to even pay attention to Jesus. And that's why we must understand what it means to be blessed as those who are poor in spirit. True happiness comes to those who apply the characteristics that we see here that are in life in the kingdom of God. Not sure if you see this on the news or if you are on social media or if you uh, have people make these statements, but listen closely or pay attention in the social media or news when people say they're blessed. A lot of times I'll see someone say something about they'll have a hashtag in the word blessed and they'll have a picture of themselves with a new car or some new clothes or a new phone or even after they get out of the gym working out, take a picture of themselves looking great after a workout and they're saying blessed. I mean, really what they mean is they're happy, but we misconstrue this word blessed in regards to the world and the true blessing that has in the Beatitudes really uh, falls in the half the second half of each statement. If you look at those verses there and all the blessings, that it's the second half of each sentence, which is the blessing. Theirs is the kingdom. They're comforted. They're satisfied. They receive mercy. They see God. Those are the blessings, and the blessings are gifts of grace. They're not anything that you or I can work to receive. They're simply the blessings of God Almighty for our faith in Him. And so besides the, blessed, the happy life or the blessed life, we need to understand this morning as we see this first verse is those who are blessed are those who first are poor in spirit. So let's look at this second point. Who are the poor in spirit? This I would say this morning, if you don't grasp this, you're not going to receive the blessing that is here in this verse. You must be a person who is poor in spirit to receive the blessing of the kingdom of God. And know that there are false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing in this world, who proclaim to be Christians and teach wrongly that if you live in financial poverty... Like a monk, if you give it all up, then you'll be blessed. And they abuse the word of God like this text. It's called the Health, Wealth, Prosperity Gospel. And if you listen to some of those, many of them sadly are given many hours on the TV, will tell you that you must give up these things. Or if you don't have, it's because you don't have enough faith and they totally deceive you by twisting the word of God. So who are the poor in spirit? It says, blessed are the poor in what? Spirit. 
Jesus is simply teaching that you must be a person who does not rely on your good works or your righteousness. Because if you rely on your good works and you rely on your righteousness, you will never see the kingdom of God. You will never be blessed with the blessings that are listed here in the Beatitudes. And so the first Beatitude fits at a great time after we just concluded the book of Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Do you remember the the weeks that we spent there? In Ephesians chapter 2, specifically in verses 8, 9, and 10, that our salvation is given to us by the grace of God through what? Through faith. Does it say that we're saved, we're given the grace of God by all the works that we do? Does it say that God pours out His grace upon us and saves us because we're kind to other people? No. It goes on in verses 9 and 10. It says, not by works so that no one can boast that He does create us in verse 10 of Ephesians 2 to do good works, but that follows the grace that's poured out upon us, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. To be poor in spirit, we are to be people who realize that we are spiritually bankrupt. I don't know all of you in this room, but maybe some of you have experienced financial bankruptcy before. Or maybe you have known someone that has experienced financial bankruptcy or a business closes because of that. And it's a mess. And sometimes it takes years to get out of that. And some who are bankrupt financially are just ruined. Some people have taken their lives because they've lost everything financially. But that level of seriousness is the level of what is needed in regards to being spiritually bankrupt. That the poor in spirit come to realize the great weight of their sin before God Almighty. Romans 3 Verse 23 says, for all have what? For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. God is holy. He is righteous. There is no sin in him. And so therefore a holy, righteous God cannot have a relationship with anyone in sin. And therefore our sin leads to death and the wrath of God And the thing which, again, our culture doesn't want to talk about eternity in hell for all who are not poor in spirit. And I guess you could say this, that actually all are poor in spirit because every single human has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's those who humble themselves and realize how poor they are in spirit before the Lord God Almighty and humble themselves and call out for him to save him. That is those who Jesus speaks to are blessed. So are you humble before the Lord God Almighty regarding the great sin that you've committed against God? And as we studied in Ephesians, it takes an act of God, the Holy Spirit, to reveal to us our sin. The Holy Spirit convicts our hearts because I don't know about you, but before the Holy Spirit convicted my heart, I was good. I didn't need anything. Yeah, I believe that there's a God, but hey, until the weight of sin upon my life and the conviction of the Holy Spirit show me from the word that I've sinned and I deserve hell. It's not to that point that I became poor in spirit and said, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. 
You must not put any confidence in your own righteousness, your own goodness, or your own strength. You must understand that you cannot, you will not please God on your own power, your own actions, or own abilities. Psalm chapter 51 verse 17 says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. We must see our spiritual bankruptcy before God Almighty. There's nothing that we have of value apart from Jesus Christ. And that's a struggle because our world so keys into the fact, even when it's like, hey, serve other peoples, that we're, especially in America, that we're strong people and we have some great things and we have these resources and we can help everyone in the world and it's all about us and you watch commercials. It's all about you. And sadly, much of American Christianity is all about us and not about Jesus. It's about pleasing us when we come into the place and singing our song and having this thing done this way and having this class for me and you didn't do this and you didn't do that and we have church hopping that happens and the majority of church growth in America happens because people get upset with one church and they go to another because it's all about me instead of as we just were singing, it's all about Jesus. The poor in spirit come to the realization of the great sin that they've committed before God, and they're in such great need of a Savior. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you have not read through the Gospels, um, Jesus uses stories all the time, and he uses the stories to make a great point. And here in Luke chapter 18, it's a verses 9 through 14. He talks about a religious guy and a non-religious guy who both come before God to pray and it has to do all about humility. And here's what it says in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We must be like the tax collector, not the religious guy. Jesus repeatedly rebuked the Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees! Because they thought their good works were their righteousness. They, we follow the law. We're righteous. We're justified. And he says, woe to you. Jesus tells his disciples, pay attention to the heart of the tax collector, the poor in spirit, who is humble before the Lord God Almighty and realize the great sin in their life. <clears throat> 
I believe that when we spend time in God's Word, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and convicts our hearts and thus drives us to despair of our sin, to repent and call on God for help. Psalm 61, verses 1 and 2, David writes, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you, and my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Have you come to that point in your life where, woe is me, I am such a sinner before a holy God. God, would you save me? If you have, then praise God. Because you can count yourself in that blessed group of people. And you can look to the rest of the Beatitudes that are to be a part of your life that are given to you by the grace of God. To be poor in spirit, though, is to fully trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ as Lord and our Savior. I don't know about if any of you in this room have done this before. This weekend, we, during 4th of July, we were at the fort, and they had this station with all these rocks and uh, talking about these valuable stones and minerals. And, and Jonathan, my son, is like, we need to get a gold pan. Can we get a gold pan? That place in town we drive by, you know. And i sure, we can get a gold pan. We'll go look for some gold when the water or the rivers come down some, whatever. And, 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 and so he just wanted to go to the rocks and see those things. And there's no gold in there. They're looking for sapphires, things. But, but this thing that gold is valuable. I mean, think about anything and everything you own in this world that's of value to you. And maybe you do have gold or maybe you have some precious stones or maybe it's the money in your bank or something else. But to think about what that is valuable, of value to you. And to think of what Jesus says in, in Matthew, a few chapters from where we're at in Matthew 13, he, he, he speaks about treasures and values and pearls. And it says this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. He speaks of the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You think, wow, that's extreme. But you see that they saw the value in something great. The person who is poor in spirit comes to the realization that Jesus Christ is so great and so treasured and so valued. They say, God, I give up my life to you. I want Jesus. That's the reality of the person who's poor in spirit and blessed by God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit have that desperation and need for someone to save them. All right, there. So we have this description of the happy life. We have what it means to be poor in spirit. And 
the last aspect is the blessing, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we really have to ask, what is the blessing when we read, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus constantly taught about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and he was constantly describing life in that kingdom. And you think of a kingdom, and you think of stories you've read, and you think of movies, and you think of a king, and he has a castle, and he has a a wall around the castle, and he has a people, and he rules over the people, and all these people that are part of him, there's nobility, and there's others, and and, and it goes on and on. This picture is kind of a sense of what we see when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven, that the blessing that God gives those who are poor in spirit is not really health, wealth, and prosperity here on earth, though at the same time that Christians can be given those things by God Almighty, and we can experience those things, but he speaks of a greater blessing, the kingdom of heaven, greater than anything that you can experience here on earth. Have you ever thought about heaven? Have you ever read the wonderful passages in the Word of God that describes heaven, that describes the kingdom of God, that points to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords? Have you read through Scripture that talks about the life of those who are poor in spirit, who live in the kingdom of God and what they receive? It's astounding. And I ask you that because... Again, this week, I just sent it to the elders last night and some of the staff that uh, another article that talks about Christians in America who do not read the word of God and nations full of Christians who only have a couple pages of the Bible. We are so rich in the wealth that the average American has like seven or eight Bibles in their house. Do we read the word of God to understand the blessing of God A motivation to live and walk in a way that God has called us to is that God Almighty is our King and He actually views His people and honors us as nobility. And some of us think, well, Christians, you know, that humility thing and and humble ourselves before the Lord, which we are to do, but that we're these, you know, go to Isaiah chapter uh, 40. It talks about God is seated above the, the heavens and we are like grasshoppers before him. But what is true about God's word is what we saw in Ephesians that when we're saved, God adopts us as his children. And if he is a king who has a kingdom, we are part of that nobility who live in the kingdom. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about your identity in Jesus Christ, that as Christ lives in you, that you are seen by God the Father, clothed in the robes of the righteousness of Christ, and therefore he says, there's my son, there's my daughter. You're a part of my kingdom. And I think probably one of the greatest problems for all Christians living the Christian life today is that we lose sight of our identity in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we fall back to, oh, woe is me. I'm a sinful person. Oh, I can't do this and walk in the way that God's called me to. And we listen to the lies of the enemy, which we spent the last few weeks looking that the enemy is real and on the attack. And sometimes you are your worst enemy because we do not go to the word of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 1 or chapter 7. 
Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Again, a glorious picture of all of God's people gathered together with him, praising his name forever, clothed in white robes. No more sin, no more despair, no more sadness, no more grief, but only the glory of God and a relationship face-to-face with God as it was described as Moses as he spoke to God. As a person who is blessed because they are poor in spirit and the kingdom of heaven is theirs, there is a crown awaiting. There is a crown awaiting the poor in spirit. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To think that God has blessed us, the poor in spirit, with such a great inheritance that we can't imagine is just hard to accept sometimes. But God, I'm a sinner. I sinned against you. You have faith, my son. You're forgiven. But God, this. No, I love you. But God, I gave up my son for you. But God. Jesus said he goes to prepare a place, right? And he will come again. The poor in spirit will reign with Christ in eternity. A lot of people wonder, well, what, is, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? You know, the, the world has a picture of heaven where you got clouds and you got su- supposedly St. Peter at a gate letting people in or not, and he's got a computer there to see if your name's on it, and you got people floating around with wings and all kinds of... Those are things that people just dream up. You read the Word of God, and yes, there's a great description of this glorious place in which you have these great treasures that are listed. You know what I mean? You have everything from these foundations of heaven and the precious stones and the, 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 the streets of gold or, or that looks as gold and all this glory of God and all of these things. But here is the treasure. Here is the glory. It's Jesus Christ. Yes, there is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Yes, God is going to wipe this out and he's going to create new and we will have this place. But do you understand that as a person who is blessed, that is poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven and it says that we will reign with Christ. There's some type of authority that we're given. And there's even a picture that there's still work to do. Because imagine eternity just sitting around on a chair. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, 
He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. No more fear, no more tears. Satan is put away for eternity. And all of those who would deny Christ are also put away, having the wrath of God poured out upon them for their rejection of Jesus Christ and their great sin before the Lord. And there they will suffer for eternity in hell with Satan and the fallen angels. And we know that hell was created for Satan, the fallen angels, and it is a tragic thing that people die every day and will go there for eternity because of the rejection of Christ. And so this morning we rejoice. In just a minute, we're going to take some bread and a cup together. And what we're doing is remembering the cross. We're remembering what Jesus did, that at the cross he died in your place for your sins. He shed his blood that would not only cover over, but remove your sins. And God the Father poured out his wrath meant for you and me on the Son. And Jesus Christ died there. His heart stopped beating. The blood stopped flowing. He took his last breath and he died there because he loves you greatly. And he was placed in a tomb. And for those who are poor in spirit, they are blessed because the third day Christ arose and the tomb is empty. And Jesus Christ has risen and ascended to heaven and he is returning. So this morning in this, there's always two groups of people everywhere I go. There's people who are not Christians, and the eternity before you is eternal damnation in hell. And some of you don't like that. Even Christians don't even like those statements. But Romans 6.23, the word of God says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You must lose your life, be poor in spirit, and humble yourself. Realize your spiritual bankruptcy and call upon God. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? But what shall a man give in return for his soul? Matthew 16, verse 25 through 26. If you're in that state today... Acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy and call out to Jesus. Say, save me. I'm a sinner. I believe in you. I receive your forgiveness. I want to be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. And if you're a Christian, you should rejoice this morning. And I know there's hardships in this world. Jesus says, take heart. There's trouble in this world. But if you're a believer, if you're blessed, I mean, if you're poor in spirit, then you're blessed because you have the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I mean, sometimes I'm like, I know you're staring at me, but man, do you know how grateful we should be this morning and how much joy we should have? Because the kingdom is set before us and God has promised to be with us, his spirit dwelling in us so that we can walk. So therefore this morning, be thankful, be filled with the joy that you're blessed to be poor in spirit with the kingdom of heaven. Micah 6 verse 8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindly, and to walk humbly with your God. The worship team is coming forward. Tim Arthur is going to come up and lead us in communion together. We're going to take an offering for benevolence. And as we do that, I want to read to you just two, a verse and a chorus. It's a hymn written in 1791 by a guy named William Hammond. And it's called Christ or else I die. And as I 
listened to that song sung by another group this week and looked up the lyrics, it hit me. It says, wealth and honor I disdain. Earthly comforts, Lord, are vain. These can never satisfy. Give me Christ or else I die. It says, all and holy and unclean, I am weighted by my sin. On thy mercy I rely. Give me Christ or I die. Father, we ask that in this moment that is a holy moment that we take a piece of bread and, and, and drink from a cup to remember what you have done. We pray that you would help us to think about our great sin. And if we're believers to give thanks that you've removed it. Jesus, we love you and we wait for your return. We wait for the day to be with you face to face for eternity. And Father, while we walk this earth, let us not waste a moment and help us to declare the gospel to others that they would too become poor in spirit and be blessed and be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.